listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fishes. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ron, for that reading. Isn't it awesome to have the choir back today? Pretty cool, very cool. You know, we're looking for more members for the choir, so I heard some of you humming along. Um, we are in the third week of Lent. How is, how is Lent going for everyone? Do we, do we feel extra penitent right now? Are we, anyone, any penitent vibes? Um, has anyone, if you've maybe decided to fast or take on a new practice or something like that, has anyone completely fallen off the wagon yet? Has that, has that happened to anybody? Um, this was my experience this past week. Um, actually happened to me on Thursday. So Friday is my day off. Um, it's the one day that I try not to do any work, so Thursday is really my night to let loose. Uh, we put the kids to bed around 8 o'clock, then I'll grab some snacks, maybe a little whiskey, and binge YouTube videos until like 1 in the morning. It is amazing. This is like my, my weekly routine. Um, <clears throat> but for Lent, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to get my eating in order for Lent. I've picked up some, some unhealthy eating habits over the last year or two, so I was like, I'm not going to do snacks on Thursday nights anymore, just just for Lent. I'm going to give that a little rest. But then this past Thursday, we went out for Chinese food for dinner. That was probably mistake number one. 
Um, then we get home, we tuck in the kids, and I discover a giant bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos in the cupboard. <clears throat> ate like, yes, yes, ate two uh, massive bowls of that. Uh, then I chased that down with a, pa- a piece of cheesecake, because the cream cheese counters the spicy. I went to bed at, what's that? Perfection, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's really bad if you sprinkle the Cheetos on the cheesecake. That's not good. Um, I think I went to bed at about 10.30, feeling not great. Woke up at like 3 in the morning, feeling like I was going to die. Um, <laughs> that's how my Lent is going. Hopefully yours uh, is, is, is going a bit better. Um, this is a good reminder, though, that um, when we fall off the wagon with these things, with fasts, with practices, you can always get back on. This Thursday will be better. Uh, We're continuing in the Gospel of Mark today, uh, and we're looking at a miracle story, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus performs dozens of miracles in the Gospels. Um, He heals people, casts out demons. Different Gospels will record different miracle stories, but this story, the feeding of the 5,000, this is the only miracle of Jesus, other than the resurrection, that pops up in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell some version of this story, which makes this like the miracle story of Jesus. The disciples come back after they've been sent on a mission to spread the good news. Uh, They're telling Jesus about all the stuff they've seen and done. Jesus tries to take them off on a little retreat, right? They go into the desert, a place where they can be alone, have some quiet and solitude, rest, recharge. But the crowd follows them. 5,000 people follow Jesus and the disciples into the wilderness. Jesus looks out at the crowd. He has compassion on them, and he proceeds to teach them all day. That's the setup for our story. Then it starts to get dark. Uh, the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, um, Jesus, we, we should probably send these people away. It's getting kind of late. We should send them home to eat something. And Jesus is like, no, you feed them. And I imagine the disciples, they like scratch their heads, they check their pockets. They manage to scratch together uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus, he's been to enough church potlucks. He's like, that'll be fine. <laughs> that'll be plenty. We can, we can stretch that out. Jesus has the disciples organize this, this crowd of 5,000 people into groups of 50s and 100. He blesses the food. He breaks the bread. And then he start, the disciples start handing it out, and the food keeps coming. Jesus multiplies the fish and the loaves. By the time the meal is over, everyone has eaten their fill, all 5,000 people, and the leftovers fill up 12 baskets full of food, because it's the Bible, so of course it's 12, right? It, like, has to be 12. How many of us have heard this one before? How many of us are familiar with the feeding of the 5,000? That's just about every hand. That's fantastic. This is a classic. I remember I learned this story in Sunday school. Uh, I was probably like six or seven years old. I remember the Sunday school teacher took five little goldfish crackers. Remember goldfish crackers in her hand? Um, And like five goldfish crackers, that's not quite accurate, right? It was was two fish and five loaves of bread. Of course, I pointed that out. I was that kid. Um, (laughs) But close enough, um, there are about 15 kids in the class. And I remember the Sunday school teacher being like, could these five little goldfish crackers feed all of you? And we're like, no. And she was like, Jesus fed 5,000 people with not much more than this, and they had 12 baskets of food left over. That's how I learned this story. 
Great story, classic story. I never looked at goldfish the same way again. But I think this is where we run into a little problem with some of these Sunday school stories we learn as kids, these miracle stories. Eventually we grow up and the stories lose their magic. It's like when I watch Harry Potter with my kids. My kids are four and six years old. I realize probably too young for Harry Potter. I'm a bad parent, what can I say? Um, but like when we, when we watch Harry Potter movies, Miriam and Zeke, their eyes light up. They're just taken in by the magic of it all. Uh, we go on a walk and like they grab sticks off the ground and they start casting spells, right? They're like, stupefy, illuminatus. It's, it's adorable. But that's not going to last, right? Like, that's not going to be forever. Eventually, that magic's going to be gone. I'm dreading the time, what, in high school? Maybe a little bit before? When I'll be like, hey, you guys want to watch Harry Potter? And they'll be like, Harry Potter? That's a kid's movie, right? Like, that's, that's coming. And that's what happens. We hear these fantastical stories, these magical stories. We learn them as kids, and then we grow up, and they lose their magic. They lose their relevance. For a lot of kids who grow up in church, stories like these go the way of fairy tales, right? We get to an age where we basically outgrow them. Feeding 5,000 people? That's a cool magic trick, I guess. Too bad nothing like that happens anymore. Too bad this has no relevance for my life. As adults, what happens is we get jaded and cynical. We get hung up on the miracle of it all. What used to be magical to us becomes a thing we roll our eyes at and dismiss. 5,000 people fed with that little food, those numbers are probably inflated, right? Sounds like a kid's story. What I want to do today, though, is I want to see if we can salvage this story. I want to see if we can recapture some of that wonder that we had when we heard this one for the first time as kids. And I want to see if maybe there is an adult take on this story, a grown-up approach to the feeding of the 5,000 that can maybe shake us up, that can uh, bring some more relevance for our lives, and that maybe even recaptures some of that wonder we had as kids. Does that sound like a plan? Excellent. Uh, To do this, though, we're going to have to read this story in context. We talk about context all the time here at our church. We talk about how important it is to read the Bible in context. If you want to read the Bible well, you've got to consider the context, and that takes a lot of different forms. Sometimes we talk about the the literary context and what genre we're reading. Sometimes we talk about the cultural context and what life was like back then. But sometimes context is just reading the stuff that happens right before the story you're currently reading, right? Like the actual context. For those of you who've got a Bible in front of you, uh, maybe you have a pew Bible open or you're following along on your phones, um, or maybe you just have it memorized, what is the story right before the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark's gospel? What's, What's the story we talked about last week? The death of John the Baptist, right? Mark gives us this story about the death of John the Baptist, a dinner party hosted by King Herod where John the Baptist is beheaded, where he's executed. That's, go ahead a slide. Up there, perfect. This story is followed immediately by the feeding of the 5,000. 
another story about a dinner party as, of sorts. One more slide ahead. There, perfect, perfect. Another story where Jesus hosts a dinner party of his own. I wonder if that's on purpose. Mark gives us these two stories side by side about banquets hosted by kings with remarkable displays of power at both of them. You got the, ban- the banquet of King Herod um, and the banquet of King Jesus. What I want to do today is I want to actually look at these two stories next to each other and see if we notice anything that we missed back in Sunday school. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, you're a bit out of luck uh, for the death of John the Baptist because I'm not going to reread that entire story. You can read it on your own if you want. Uh, But for those of us who were here last week, uh, you can help us recap it uh, to get everybody caught up. Sound like a plan? Good. Awesome. Um, We'll just do the highlights of this. We'll get some highlights up here, and we're going to start easy. Who was the host of last week's banquet story? Who hosted King Herod's party? King Herod. I told you we're starting easy, right? Yes, King Herod was the host. It was Herod's birthday, so he threw himself a party. Not going to judge Herod for throwing his own birthday party. Maybe he didn't have a lot of friends, uh, but no no judgment there. Herod is the host. Um, Next, who were the guests at King Herod's party? Who's there? You got to be louder. I'm deaf. Not literally, but... A lot of powerful people, nobles, right? Um, the, the rich, the important people. Uh, the queen Herodias is there, right? She's Herod's niece slash wife, right? She, she like married Herod's brother and then she married Herod. Um, go back and listen to that sermon. It's a heck of a family tree. Um, you also had the princess, right? Herodias's daughter who's there and a bunch of these rich, powerful nobles. What was the atmosphere like? of Herod's party. How would we describe the vibe of the place before the head shows up? They were drinking, right? Revelry. It was a rager. It was like something out of Animal House. The alcohol is flowing. They are having a good time. Um, then we get a dramatic display of power. What dramatic display of power does King Herod do at his party? He beheads John the Baptist. Yeah. Herod's drunk. <clears throat> uh, stories that start out with someone drunk usually don't end well. Uh, his 12-year-old stepdaughter slash niece uh, does this dance for him that gets Herod all excited, and yes, that's gross. It's supposed to be gross. Um, he offers her whatever she wants up to half his kingdom, and she asks for the head of John the Baptist. So Herod sends some guards over to the prison, and they bring John the Baptist's head on a silver platter and present it the princess at this dinner. That story, by the way, probably one you didn't hear in Sunday school, I'm going to (laughs) guess. Like, I'm I'm betting Pam is not up there with the kids right now reviewing that that story. Maybe she is. I don't know. She's she's definitely not. Don't worry. She's not. That would be something, though. Um, We got into this last week. Uh, We talked about this story. We talked about how Mark is shining a light on authoritarians and authoritarianism and how dangerous this stuff is. Uh, We talked about these powerful, unchecked rulers. We talked about rulers like Herod and Pharaoh in Egypt, all the bad guys of the Bible who are these authoritarians. We talked about authoritarians today like Putin and what's going on right now in Europe. 
We talked about some of the dangerous authoritarian tendencies in our own society, uh, efforts to limit voting rights, um, efforts to erase our gay and trans friends from existence. We talked about how we should respond to authoritarians as Christians by shining a light on truth. We talked about all that and how we respond But Mark responds by telling us another story about a different banquet. Let's compare Jesus' banquet with Herod's. And the host is easy, right? Who hosts Jesus' banquet? Jesus. Yeah, King Herod, King Jesus. Uh, Who are the guests at Jesus' party? Disciples are there, right? And the poor. 5,000 hungry people, 5,000 hungry men, we're told. We'll get to that in a second. Table that. These are 5,000 citizens of Herod's kingdom, right? They're on Herod's turf, and they don't have any food. Meanwhile, Herod is up in his palace living it up. Hmm. Not a very good king, if you ask me. The atmosphere at Herod's party, right? It was drunkenness, revelry, it was a rager. What's the vibe of King Jesus' party? How might we describe that? Subdued? Yeah. What's that? Educational? He's teaching, right? Reverence. He prays for them. He has compassion for them. It's a very different vibe. Jesus looks out at this crowd and he has compassion on them because they have no leader. They are like sheep without a shepherd, So he teaches them all day. Let's talk about this display of power, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has 5,000 men there with him in the wilderness, right? 5,000 men. Mark is very specific. Usually when we see something like this in the Bible, we just chalk it up to sexism, right? Like, of course they only counted the men. Of course they did. But that's actually not what's going on here. That's not what Mark is doing. Um, in a couple weeks, we're going to get another story about the feeding of the 4,000, where we're told that it's 4,000 people, 4,000 men, women, and children. So why in this story does Mark tell us specifically that there are 5,000 men? What's that? Why do they? I'm going to answer that. Right, picture the scene. Jesus is in the wilderness, he's in the desert, with 5,000 hungry men, men who are organized in groups of 50s and 100s. That sounds a lot like an army, right? Like I'm imagining a sizable army. Jesus has an army with him in the desert. They're broken into units and companies. They've had it with King Herod. He's gorging himself while they starve. He just killed a national hero in John the Baptist. If Jesus arms these guys, that's a revolution. 5,000 hungry men with swords could take King Herod and his forces, no problem. We could topple Herod right now and establish our own little kingdom around King Jesus, but it would look just like the kingdom of King Herod, right? Jesus has 5,000 hungry men with him in the wilderness. Jesus has an army, and what act of power does he do? 
Bingo. He feeds them. That's his act of power. Jesus takes five loaves of bread and two fish, and he feeds 5,000 people with plenty left to spare. You want to see an act of power to rival King Herod's? Herod killed one guy. Jesus just fed 5,000 with, like, nothing. Jesus just buried Herod, metaphorically. Do you see what makes this story so radical, so dangerous? Do you understand what Mark is doing here? He's revealing the evil of worldly powers, and he's actually contrasting that with the empire of King Jesus. We didn't talk about the food at these parties, at Herod's party at least. We didn't touch on the food at Herod's party, what they ate. If you guys go back sometime this week and reread the story of King Herod's party, you're going to notice something that's missing. There's no mention of food at Herod's birthday party. None. All these important guests, all these wealthy nobles, and there's no mention of food. The only item that is served at King Herod's birthday party is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. You're not going to feed many people with that. The only food King Herod knows how to serve is violence, but violence doesn't feed people. When people are starving, a piece of bread is way more powerful than a bomb. This story is not a fairy tale about a cool magic trick Jesus did one time. Mark is showing us the difference, the contrast between the violent authoritarian kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God revealed in Jesus. This is why we pray every Sunday for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Because I don't know about you, but I have had it with worldly kingdoms and worldly powers. Kingdoms that start wars, that invade other countries, that bomb hospitals. The kingdoms of this world try to make it harder for people to vote. They use their faith as cover to try to erase entire groups of people from existence. That's what the kingdoms of this world do. By putting these two dinner parties, these two stories next to each other, Mark uncovers the truth about the kingdoms of this world. They are violent and twisted and weak. Herod can't even feed his own people. He kills a man because of a drunken promise to a 12-year-old girl. That's not strength. Strong leaders don't have to use violence to get their way. Strong leaders don't have to poison their political opponents. They don't have to stop people from voting. They don't have to arrest protesters. They don't have to attack the media to hold on to power. That is just as true in Russia as it is here, by the way. How do we respond to authoritarian violence as Christians? We feed people. If we follow King Jesus, we respond to this violence by feeding people. That is how we reveal the power of Christ. Later today at the gathering table, I'm happy to say that we are going to be feeding people. 
For the first time in person, first time in person in two years, we are going to have folks from the community coming here for a meal. Um, come back to the church at one o'clock and help out. Bust some tables, pull up a chair, get to know someone from the community that you haven't met before. Uh, most months pre-pandemic, we'd have anywhere from like 50 to 70 hungry people from the community, mostly non-church members, who would come here for a meal every month. That's not charity. We don't do that uh, to feel good about ourselves or because it's nice. We feed people because when we do it, it reveals something about God's kingdom. When we take communion together on the first Sunday of every month, when we share in a meal that is being taken by Christians across the world, across national lines, across political lines, across all those boundaries, when we share in that meal, we break bread with Christians from Brockport to Burma to Ukraine to Russia, we are declaring our allegiance to a different kingdom. When we send money for food and supplies to refugees, when we stock the pantry out there, right outside the sanctuary with plenty of food so that people, if they come to us with need, can go and take what, whatever they want, we are declaring our allegiance to a different king. Being a Christian means you don't meet violence with violence. We don't embrace the way of worldly power to get rid of worldly power. That's just more of the same. We don't need to wage a culture war we don't need a strong man of our own who's on our side to beat up all the people we don't like. That's just another Herod. As Christians, we are called to follow King Jesus, and if you want to do that, you feed people. Don't fear Herod, who can't even feed his own people. Fear Jesus, who feeds the multitudes with nothing. A couple loaves of bread and some fish. Don't fear a king like Putin who can split an atom, as terrifying as that is. Fear the God who forms atoms by hand in the heart of the sun. And don't fear someone who can take a life. Anybody can do that. Fear the God who is the author and sustainer of all life. The God who gave his life to conquer death for us all. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the counterexample of King Jesus and his kingdom, which shines a revealing light on the ugly kingdoms of this world. God, it's hard sometimes. We get sucked into the way of doing things, the way of our neighbors, the way of worldly kings. God, help us remember that we belong to you and to your kingdom. Help us remember that difference. Don't let us cave into fear in the face of violence, Lord, but help us to remember the nonviolent way of Jesus. God, empower us to feed people. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.